Excellent. Brilliant. Well, welcome to you. If it's your first time with us, welcome today. Well done. You've braved it out in the cold. Um, and also, well done as well. Um, before we go any further, I just, I, obviously, as you, you can see, we, we, we have empty seats today. Normally, this has been very full, this meeting. And I'm aware that as we kind of now, what's going on contemporarily, is that the right? Can I use that word? Yeah, that works, doesn't it? Um, we, it can we just pray quickly? Can I pray God's protection over us as a church? Because, you know, I know, I know that we, we've obviously walked through a very difficult 18 months. And if you then see the news and you start to see COVID cases rising and what Boris Johnson said last night, we wanna, I want to pray God's protection over you. You know, so let's just do that now. And then for people who don't feel comfortable joining us, because there's many reasons why it's not a sensible idea to be in a room full of people if you've got underlying health concerns. And so we want to pray for those people that God protects them and God blesses them as well. So can we do that quickly? Is that right? Yeah, Lord Jesus, we just thank you that, um, that as I'm about to say, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And uh, people have already said that this morning. Um, and Jesus, I pray for your hand of protection. I pray for your hand of help upon each person in this room. Lord, I thank you for their faith this morning. Lord, I pray, Lord Jesus, for people who are joining us at home and don't, are just unable to come, Lord God, at the moment. Lord, I pray your hand of blessing on them. I pray they would experience the favour and generosity of God towards them. Um, Lord, and we pray for your protection over us as a, as a people group, but also over our town and over our nation. God, we pray, Lord Jesus, that, um, Lord God, that we would continue to be able to move forward out of this uh, current season that we've been in, Lord God, into, into new things and bright things ahead, Lord God. We pray, Lord God, that we wouldn't be back in the, the dark winter that we were in last year, Lord. We pray, Lord Jesus, for um, the new things and new joy to, to come to us. So, Lord, we pray your protection and your hand over us, Lord God, in the season ahead. Amen. Cool. Right, well, we're going to finish off our series in Hebrews today. And so we're going to be in Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. And um, Hebrews 13 is, it actually kind of marks a bit of a shift in the book of Hebrews, so much so that some people, although I disagree with them, if you, are, if you like a, a Bible commentary, you might have a Bible commentary, and the person writing that commentary might say, I'm not sure whether Hebrews 13 was written by the person who wrote the rest of Hebrews. Such is the difference in the way that it's written. However, I'm thoroughly convinced, along with most sort of like commentaries that you read, that it was the same person because the themes are so similar. But yeah, it's a very different style. Because we've had like this heavy theology. We've thought about Jesus, and then we get into some pastoral concerns. And so that's what the nature of this passage is about. Um, but before I get there, let me just talk to you about why we did this series, because we're at the end of it, so it would be quite helpful for me to say that to you, wouldn't it? Why have we done this series? What was our heart as a leadership team um, in this series uh, for you as an individual Christian? Well, it's that you get a bigger picture of Jesus Christ, who in verse 8 of 13, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We want you to get a bigger picture of who Jesus is. Because Jesus is the same today as he was yesterday. So he's the same today as he was at the start of the world when he was there. You read John, John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. The Logos, Jesus. Jesus was there in Genesis. Jesus was there um, at the cross, dying for your sins and rising again to new life, that you might have freedom from sin and freedom from death. He's the same God that he was then as he is now. And now it says in Hebrews 7 that he's on the throne he's in his ever interceding for his people. He's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, it says in chapter 1, verse 4. He, he's the God who um, is above all things and in him all things hold together, says John, so Paul in Colossians. Okay? So we've got this, this Jesus who is the same yesterday and today, but he's also the same Jesus who's going to be the same forevermore. He's the one that you can pin your hopes on. 
And the thing about us, you see, is that Jesus is the same forever. That means, and there's a word for that, it means he's immutable. It's a characteristic of God. It means that God doesn't change. Jesus is immutable. He doesn't change. But I think Anna said it earlier on. It's interesting because God's clearly speaking to us today. We are changeable as individuals. We, we change all the time. And that's ironic to me because our culture dictates, uh, it tells us that we can, if we kind of, and I've spoken about this before, but our culture has gone down this whole route of identity. And the way that you find out what your identity is, is you need to go on a journey of self-discovery. And when you find out your true self, then you can live out of that true self. Like that it's something that you can discover and your identity is, is this fixed thing. But in reality, our identities aren't fixed at all. In reality, our identities are, in, in the main part, actually given to us. We, there's nothing we can do about it. It's our parents, our upbringing, where we were born, what, what the family we were brought into. And secondly, then our identities then shift every day based around what happens to us. So you and I are not the same people that we were 18 months ago because of this wonderful thing called coronavirus. We're not the same people anymore. Things have shifted in our lives. And something might happen to you today, both good or bad, and it might change who you are tomorrow. Our identities shift all the time, yet Jesus remains the same. And so the book of Hebrews is, is written to this book of Jewish Christians tempted to go back to Judaism. We've said this several times. And the reason we've looked at this is because we want you to have steadfast foundations in your life as a Christian to know that no matter what life throws at you, no matter what today might bring or tomorrow might bring, you can say, I can be confident in Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. As it says in chapter 12, verse 2, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. But you can be confident in him. Does that make sense? And that's why we've done it. So I hope that, as a pastor, you, you are starting to grow in that confidence. And I hope that if you're hitting a difficult period in life, that you reflect on what we've tried to teach you this series. That it doesn't, it's not just some knowledge that we've given you, but it actually starts to take root in your heart and starts to change a little bit about how you might respond to those difficult situations you could face. Okay? Um, and then we get to Hebrews 13. So let's read it together, shall we? Um, let's read it together. And I'm going to be reading from the NIV today, um, just so you're aware. And, and so it, I'm going to start at verse 1, and I'm going to finish at verse 17. And just to say, this is a challenging text, okay? And I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to make sure I do it, hopefully do it due diligence. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by, doing, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitalities to angels without knowing it. Think the story of Abraham and Sarah in Genesis. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who were ill-treated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honoured by all, and the marriage bed be kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you or forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord's my helper, I won't be afraid. What, what can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. I'm just going to sorry, just stop there for a minute. This isn't what I'm going to say the rest of it. It does feed into a little bit, but I won't go back to this otherwise. And these two verses are a bit weird, okay? So let me just explain this very quickly. Okay, we, we as Christians need to be strengthened by grace 
and we need to be building our foundation of faith in grace rather than through ritual. So ritual is, is trying to do certain things to try and earn God's approval. So here it takes, it takes the form of ritual foods, ceremonial foods. Now, I'm not going to go into the detail of that because I don't have time. But us in our context, it isn't ceremonial foods. It's doing ritualistic acts to try and get God's approval. And if you behave like that, then you're kind of like the people who are ministering at the tabernacle, the old covenant. You've got no right to feed from grace if you're, minist- if you're, if you're going after ritual. So we don't want to be people who go after ritual. We want to be people who go after the grace of God and be strengthened by it. Okay, let me carry on, sorry. Um, verse 11, the high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace that he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Okay, so I'm going to stop there. Um, now, this is quite a long passage, and there's a lot in here. In fact, actually, I could, I could, there's two kind of sections to the, ver- the verses that we've just read. And if I wanted to, we wanted to, we could actually go ahead and just do a whole series on just these verses, because there's so much here. But I do believe that there is some connection in these verses. And um, I believe there's one verse that connects the whole thing together, and it's probably not where you would expect to find it. And I think it's verse 13. Let me just read that to you again. Let us then go outside the camp bearing the disgrace that he bore. I believe that this is the verse that connects all of the other verses together in this chapter. So if that's the case, then why, why, is, why is that? Why is this the verse that connects all the other verses together in this chapter? Well, um, preceding it is two verses. And the first of those verses, which is verse 11, is almost a mirror of what you find in Leviticus 16, verse 27. So in Leviticus 16, we have the, um, we, what we have is the, the, the regulations for the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement, I've spoken about this before in this series when I spoke on Hebrews chapter 4. The Day of Atonement was the day the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies with the blood of, of, of a, a sacrificial animal. And the, 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 the lamb's blood was representative for the sin of the people, the, the lamb's death for the death, for the punishment of sin for the people. And it was taken into the holy place. And in this regulation, what it stated was in verse 27 of chapter 16 of Leviticus, is that the body of that lamb and the body of the bull that's been shed for the, 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 the sin of the priest should be taken outside the camp and burned. It's really random, isn't it? What a random thing to say, you might say to the person. But you see, the, the, the issue is, is that what, what the writer of the Hebrews continues to do is make a connection between the old way and what Jesus has done and what Jesus has done being better. So what, how is what Jesus has done better than that? Well, look, what happened with Jesus is where was Jesus crucified? He was crucified outside the city of Jerusalem. Golgotha, the place of, of the skull where Christ was crucified, is outside the city of Jerusalem. Jesus' blood wasn't shed in the temple and his body thrown outside the city. Jesus' blood was shed outside the city so that you and I can go into the temple and have access to God. His body was, uh, his body was left outside the city in a tomb, because that was also outside the city, and his body then 
came back to life again. He then inherited the new resurrection body outside the city. And you and I are called to go and join Jesus outside of the city. Now, this is, uh, this is a metaphor for us. Okay. Now, when, when the, uh, the first readers would have read this, they would have understood this straight away. Because the city for them was their old way of faith, Judaism. Jerusalem represented for them the old way of faith. It was the way of the law. It was the way of the tabernacle, Jerusalem, the holy city. And the writer to the Hebrews is saying, you need to leave behind the old way and follow Jesus. And the, the disgrace that might come for you by leaving Judaism and walking after Jesus. But we, most of us aren't Jewish, okay? So for us, actually, there's going to be something else in this that is for us. And I believe that actually there are cities that we each have. There are cities that we can um, kind of live in and not be prepared to go out of and join Jesus because of. And um, those cities are actually, we find them, this is all metaphor, by the way, those cities, we find them in this chapter. And they're the cities of power, of relationships, and of money. Now, now you will have heard that before. Power, sex, and money, they're the three things, aren't they? They're, they're these big three things. We hear it all the time. But we find these quite clearly in this chapter. Why, why are these things such big things? Well, look, they can become gods to us. They become idols to us. But they can also become safe spaces that we want to inhabit that we're not prepared to step out of in pursuit of Jesus. So if I can just go through those three things for you. So relationships, money, and power. So there's, there's one city that some of us can find ourselves in, and it's the city of relationships, the camp of relationships. We, we, we sit within it, and we, we are comfortable within it. And we find this uh, in verses uh, 1 through to verse, uh, verse 4. Um, and first of all, we see what, what we can do is we can be selfish as individuals. We can be selfish. We don't look to the needs of other people. We care more about ourselves. We care more about... Um, what, what, what are, what's going on in our life. We think first about ourselves, and then if we've got time, we think about other people. But the writer to the Hebrews tries to encourage us to think differently. And so in verse 1, they say that we need to give ourselves over to the love of brothers and sisters. That's Philadelphia. You know the spread that you put on your toast? Yeah? It's actually also a city. It was a city in the New Testament, but it's also now a city in America as well. That, um, was it Bruce Springsteen sung a song about? Um, is it Bruce Springsteen? Yeah, thank you, thanks. I'm looking at Chris, he's saying yes. Um, Philadelphia. Phil means love in Greek, it's a type of love. Adelphia means, that bro means, means brothers and sisters. Philadelphia. We need to give ourselves over to the love of one another. We need to love one another. We need to love one another with a love that, that treats other people like brothers and sisters. The way you love your siblings should be the way that we love one another here. And then there's more to it than that. It's not just that we should love one another like the way we love our brothers and sisters. We should show hospitality to one another, verse 2. And what's interesting is in English translations, I've, I learned this this week, there's also the word fill again in the Greek, but it doesn't come up in the English translation. So, because it says show hospitality, but actually in the Greek it, it says something like love show hospitality. You should love to show hospitality to people. If you want to... Step out of the camp of selfishness, writes the writer to the Hebrews, and follow after Jesus, then you need to stop being selfish by starting to love other people, showing um, a heart of selflessness as you walk after them. See, some of us can get caught in this camp of relationships, of, of seeing it's all about us. And, and, and that can be manifest in that way we can be selfish, but also, for some of us, it can 
enter, it can, it can become something about our sexual identity that we can end up staying in, in this camp and not wanting to follow after Jesus. And the writer is quite clear here in verse, uh, in verse 4 about marriage. Now, if you're single in the room, I just want to say to you that I know that when we talk about marriage, straight away you go, oh, here we go again, Christians talking about marriage. Okay? And, and I think for too long in the West, we have spoken about marriage too much. We've made marriage such a high thing in the church. It's like everybody should attain towards marriage. But Paul doesn't say that. Paul says it's better to be single than to be married. Yet, however, marriage is important. And, and it talks here, doesn't it? Marriage should be honoured by all. Okay, we do need to honour the institution of marriage between man and woman. Why? Because it's a symbolic union. The, 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 the union between a man and a woman is symbolic of Christ and the church. Ephesians 5, Paul writes in Ephesians 5, verses 22 onwards, he, he writes, I'm paraphrasing now because it's off the top of my head. He, he writes, uh, uh, wives, submit to your husbands. Now, a lot of the time, we've, we've taken that verse and we've just left it there. If you're in a, a misogynistic setting, then wives, submit to your husbands. What's the next thing it says? Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives and lay your life down for her, just as Christ laid himself down for the church. See, our marriages are symbolic of what it looks like for Jesus to love the church and for the church to love Jesus. If you're in a married relationship, you are meant to be demonstrating something to secular culture of what it means for Christ to love the church and for the church to love Christ. That's what we should be doing in marriage. So then, the writer to the Hebrews says, if you then enter into sexual immorality, you are not only bringing disgrace upon your spouse, you're bringing disgrace upon the institution of marriage, which is to honour Christ and the church. That's serious. Do you understand how serious that is? And, 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 and here, the writer of the Hebrews talks about sexual immorality. Now, sexual immorality in that context would have probably been that in that, in that era, it was quite commonplace for men to have a little bit on the side. Yeah? Somebody they might go and visit on a weekly basis for a little bit of extra, okay? But they would not just go and visit them for a little bit of extra. I'm not even going to go there because there's, there's children in the room. Um, they would also go and, and make them their confidant. They would go and, 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 and share and open their lives with them. They become a confidant to them. See, sexual immorality isn't just all about sex. It's about... It's, it can be, in this context, making somebody else your confidant. So what does that look like in our culture? Well, sexual immorality here is actually the root from the root word pornii, or pornoi, I can't ever say it properly, which is where we get the word pornography from. Pornography is prevalent in our generation. It's so easy to get hold of. You could go on your phone and look at it for free right now if you wanted to. If you are married, even if you're not married, because marriage should be honoured by all, single or not, we need to flee from sexual immorality. If you are looking... And I know this is not just a problem for men, it's a problem for women as well. If you are looking at pornography, you need to stop doing it. You need to stop doing it. Because in doing it, you are dishonouring your spouse, but you are also dishonouring the institution of marriage, which is Christ loving the church. Do you understand? I can't say that seriously enough to you, um, and my heart for you in that. But also, maybe you're not looking at pornography. Maybe what you're doing is maybe you've just got really close to somebody outside of your marriage. It's, it's okay... Some of us seem to think it's not all right to have friends who are of the other sex. It's all right. You can be friends with somebody who's the other sex to you. It's okay. What isn't okay is when you make that friend 
a closer friend than your husband or wife and that you spend all of your time talking to them and there are things that you would share with them that you wouldn't share with your husband or wife. Because if you're doing that, your marriage bed isn't pure. Do you understand? It's so, so important that you hear that today. Okay, so we can do this in relationships. What we do is we can stay in the city of relationships and not want to follow after Jesus. Why? Because we care about ourselves. That's the, that's the first thing. I realise I'm going to go over today, but I started later, I think. Um, I'm saying this now, okay? I can see the time going. I've got about 10 minutes. Okay, so um, secondly, we, another way that we can, we can stay in this camp is we can, we, can, we can love money. We can be greedy. And that's all about selfishness as well. And some of us seem to think that the antidote to greed is asceticism. Asceticism means that you get rid of everything. And if in getting rid of everything, then that means that all of a sudden you're not greedy anymore. That isn't Jesus' solution to this problem. Jesus' solution is in Luke 18, when he talks to the rich ruler. And the rich ruler comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, sell all your possessions and do what? Give the proceeds to the poor. You see, the solution to greed is generosity. So if you're struggling with loving money, and that just means that everything in your life is fueled by the need for more. So the job that you've got is all about how you can um, keep attaining more and more and more and more money all the time. It's all about money to you. If that's where you're at, then what I suggest that you do is you start giving away. And for you, that might actually be, in the first instance, just honouring God with your money and start giving it into the church. You honour God with your money by giving it to him. And as you do that, God breaks the power of mammon, the God of money, in your life. That's the second one, money. And lastly, we can, be, we can be in the city of power. We can want power for ourselves. And this is actually typified later on in our chapter. It's in verse 17. So if we just go there very, very quickly. I knew I was going to be longer on the first point. I've actually accidentally gone to Hebrews 12. Hold on a second. Verse 17. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. We all want power. We all want power. We all like position. And what we can do is if we, we want to live in the city of power, what we can do is we can criticise everybody who has got power because we want it for ourselves. So people in positions of authority, we can criticise them. You see it happening in the newspapers all the time. Okay? Now, say what you will about the, the people in Parliament. That's absolutely fine. But it's very easy to criticise from the outside, isn't it? Very easy to criticise what decisions they're making. And it's the same in church. It is very easy for you. Look, because I used to be where you sit. <laughs> it's very easy for you to criticise decisions that we make. It's very easy for you to criticise us as leaders. It's very easy for you to be drawn into that because it's easy to stay within the city of wanting more power. And, and the heart behind that is that you think that you know better. Ultimately, that's what it boils down to. Okay? And what the writer to the Hebrews says here is that you need to have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. Why? Because they're going to be held to account for how they've led you. I live with that every day, that verse. When I meet Jesus one day, I'm going to be held to a different standard. That's serious for me, right? So therefore, I want to do what the writer to the Hebrew says in verse 18. I want to walk on honorably and with a, play with a straight bat, as they say in cricket. Yeah? I, I want to honor you and try and be open and honest with you. Why? Because I know that I'm going to be held to account for that. Okay? And the way that, that we walk outside the city of power is you show confidence in the people leading you. You submit to their authority and you encourage them. 
ultimately. That's how you step out of this city, outside this city gate of power and you follow after Jesus. So there's three ways that we can stay within our, the confines of our kind of like city in terms of our comfort and we can stay in it and we don't follow after Jesus. But yet the writer to the Hebrews says in verse 13 that we need to go after Jesus. Let us go outside the gate and join Jesus and bear disgrace for him. You are called to join Jesus outside the city gate. He calls after you and he says, come follow me. Luke 9, verse 23, I think it is. If anyone would be my disciple, they must take up their cross and follow me. He says it again in Luke 14. If you want to be my disciple, you must be prepared to lose your life and follow me. Do you want to follow Jesus? Because if you want to follow Jesus, you need to leave the city and go after him. And that means that you're going to leave behind some things that are comfortable to you, but that are bringing, that are not good for you, and you need to go after Jesus, the better one. And in doing so, what's going to happen? Is it all going to be hunky-dory? No, it's not. It's not going to be hunky-dory. If you choose to leave behind all this stuff that I've spoken about today, you are going to start to, fit, you're going to, start to experience rejection, and you're going to start to experience disgrace for the sake of Christ from the world that you live in, from the culture that you live in. Because the way that I spoke about sexuality earlier on, the way that I spoke about money, the way that I spoke about power is completely countercultural to how our culture lives. And if you step out and follow Jesus in those things, then your culture is going to start judging you on that. You know, there's somebody else in the Bible, I'm going to leave you this as I finish, there's somebody else in the New Testament who actually does what I've been speaking about. And outside the city, inside the city, he starts preaching Jesus. He stands up and he gives an account of Jesus, the one who has done, who is great, who is the greater covenant. Jesus, the great one. And what do they do with him? They take him outside the city and they stone him. It's Stephen in, in, in Acts 7. Stephen stands up and he proclaims Jesus as crucified and risen again. And what do they do with him? They take him outside the city and they stone him. If you want to follow after Jesus, you need to be prepared to lay down your life and follow him. Does that make sense? This is, I know this is kind of a serious word at the end of this series, but I'm, I'm just telling you the, what it says <laughs> in the Bible, okay? So how do we do it? Well, we need to walk into a sacrificial lifestyle. We need to walk into a sacrificial lifestyle. It, it says in verse 15 that, that, that the, the praise of God should be on our lips. See, we don't just sing, sing songs in worship. We use our lives as an attitude of worship. Everything in our lives should be given to him. But 15, verse 15 also shows us that as we walk outside the camp, we're actually engaging in the mission of God, the mission of God to go. Gateway Church was called Gateway Church because we wanted to be a gateway for which people could come through to find Jesus. Recognising that we're in an international town because of the station, that, that it's a gateway to the nations, but also that we want to be a gateway for people to come through to find Jesus. Can I just say this morning, actually, God's calling you out of the gateway and into the world to go and actually be Christ's disciples. It's not just about us expecting people to come in, it's about us going out and telling people about Jesus, but also being prepared to live differently as we do so. And that's what this chapter is all about. This chapter is all about having confidence in the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and living our lives in accordance to that. Does that make sense? Okay, so I'm going to finish now, but what I want to do is, I know I said some quite serious stuff about sexual sin earlier on, and I felt as I was saying it, this is an embarrassment to you if you're doing it. You don't, I know, I know because I, I've dealt with this before with people, particularly with, with the, the thing of pornography. The devil would want to have a stronghold in your life over it. 
it's not gonna, you are not going to want to come and speak to me at the end of the meeting because you're going to be worried about people coming, what people are going to say. If that is you, please can I invite you to email me or to phone the office and just say, can I, I just want to, you know, or email me. Or email, so if you're a guy, email me. If you're a lady, please can you email Becca Cole in the office or jazz.potter. And one of us, or if you're a guy, you can email me or Richard and we will give you a contact about it and we will pray with you about it and we'll give you some help about how we can walk out of that. Does that make sense? Okay. I wouldn't want to leave this unpractical for you today. But in other things, can I just invite you to stand with me so I can pray with you as we finish today? Because God's calling you outside the camp to join him in following him. Jesus, as we uh, finish our series in Hebrews, we thank you that we've seen that you're the God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But we know that there's a, there needs to be a response to that. That, that, that. that following you isn't having a knowledge about you, but following you is hearing what you say and doing what you say. So Jesus, I pray for my friends here today. Lord, I pray that if any of them are wanting just to stay within the confines of the cities, of relationship, of power or of money, Lord, I pray that you would enable them to step outside the city and follow you today. Lord Jesus, I pray that where people are worried about counting the cost of making the decision to go, actually, I need to leave that, and I need to leave it aside and follow Jesus. Lord, I pray right now that you would give them the confidence to step away from uh, bad attitudes, maybe it's selfishness. Lord, I pray that you'd um, give them the confidence to begin giving money away. Lord, I pray that um, where people need to step out of sexual sin, Father, I pray that you'd give them the tools in which to be able to do that. Lord Jesus, I thank you that this is not about ritual. It's about your grace. And so, Lord, we pray, Lord, as we step into the Christmas season and we discover again, God, the the God of grace who comes into creation. Lord, I pray that as we do that, our lives are being transformed day by day because what we're doing is we're stepping outside the city and we're following you. So, Lord Jesus, we pray, pray for each member of this congregation today. Show them, Holy Spirit, areas of their life where they're not walking out of the gate and following you. Lord Jesus, you say that we're to take up our cross daily and follow you. So Lord, I pray for Monday, I pray for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday this week, that these people who are dearly loved by you, who in grace have experienced the salvation of God over their lives, I pray that tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday, that they would walk free from these cities that are strongholds for them, and they would walk out and find you, Jesus. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would be with us this week, and that you would use our testimonies to bring others to you. Amen. Amen. Well, that's it. It's definitely over time. If you've got